don't know if you heard uh, on the news last, this last Friday that's just gone, uh, but there was uh, considerable alarm in a uh, southern suburb of Berlin. Uh, some footage had been posted online which seemed to show a lion prowling in the streets. And worried officials immediately uh, called wildlife parks and zoos to see if a lion had escaped. Now, it turned out they think that it was actually a wild boar rather than a lion. Uh, And if you watch the footage, you can see where the mistake uh, might have been made. But I wonder, what would your response be if you heard that uh, the Wolds Wildlife Park uh, had lost a lion and it had been seen prowling the streets of Billinghay. Uh, I suspect that you would leave this building uh, alert, uh, watching out just in case you came face to face with a lion. Well, in these verses uh, that we read just a few moments ago, Uh, Peter tells us uh, that we all live daily in an even more dangerous situation than if there was a lion prowling around the streets of Billingham. Uh, Peter says to us that the devil himself is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. And the devil does not merely want to destroy our bodies like a lion might, but he wants to destroy our very souls. And that's why Peter says that we must be sober, we must be vigilant, we have to be on the lookout. He says the devil is a roaring lion, not a sleeping lion, one which is roaring. And I understand that lions roar uh, to defend their territory and to scare off intruders. And so Satan also roars. He roars because this world is his territory. He has, as it were, taken it over. But we, if we're a believer this morning, uh, if we are trusting in Christ, if we have had our sins forgiven through Christ, then we are from a different army. We have a different king, and we are soldiers in his army, and we are on enemy territory, the devil's territory. And so he wants to destroy us. He wants to make us entirely ineffective in this world. And so we need to watch. Uh, We need to be aware. We need to be vigilant. But you might ask, but how? How are we vigilant against an invisible 
enemy, uh, an enemy which many in the world would mock as non-existent. Uh, are we to be on the lookout for uh, forked tongues and horns coming out of people's foreheads? Is that what we're to be vigilant of? Well, this is where we need to understand how Satan is not like a lion. We all know what to be beware of with a lion. Uh, its claws and its teeth. Uh, it's easy to know what risk a lion poses and what weapons it will use against us. But the devil is not like that. Uh, he doesn't have physical teeth. He doesn't have actual claws. The devil attacks us in different ways. As I said, he is not primarily out to destroy our bodies, although he does sometimes want to do that. Primarily, he is out for our souls, for our hearts, and so his weapons are geared at our hearts, at our souls. And his three favorite weapons, or his three favorite tools for attacking us, the Bible calls the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And explain what each of those are in just a moment. But we see the devil using these weapons whenever he comes to attack someone else. We see it uh, in the Garden of Eden, the first time we are introduced, as it were, to the devil in the form of that serpent. And as he spoke to Eve, he tempted her to eat of the fruit which God had forbidden. And it's interesting, you might be worth looking, if you have a Bible, to look at uh, Genesis chapter 3, where we read of this temptation, this attack, where Satan, as a roaring lion, seeks to destroy the woman and all mankind. And he tells her, if you eat of the fruit which God has forbidden... You won't surely die. And look what it says in verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, that's the pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. Satan targeted her weak spot, and Satan will do the same with us. And we see the same pattern happen in the New Testament, when Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness. You'll remember how he tempted Jesus there, and again, it might be worth looking it up in Matthew's Gospel. And in Matthew chapter, uh, if I can find it, Matthew chapter 3, I believe, sorry, Matthew chapter 4, Satan gives Jesus three temptations. And the first temptation is Jesus was hungry, he hadn't eaten for many days, and he tells Jesus to command the stones to become 
bread. He says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Again, that's the lust of the flesh. Jesus was hungry, and he tried to make Jesus do his bidding. But Jesus refused. Next, it says in verse 5 of Matthew 4, the devil took Jesus up into the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. This is the pride of life. He says, cast yourself in the temple and everyone will know that you're the Messiah. Everyone will know you're the Christ. Everyone will worship you if only you do this thing. He tempted him with the pride of life. And lastly, it says, verse 8, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He asked Christ to look at all that kingdom. He said, I will give it to you if you worship me. That was the lust of the eyes. And we see this pattern uh, throughout scripture. That Satan attacks our souls in these three areas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. What I'd like to do is just look at those three areas so that we can understand better how we can be vigilant, how we can be careful, how we can watch out for the devil's attacks because he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let's first of all look at the first way. The first way is we must watch over our desires. The first way we resist the devil is by watching over our desires. This is the lusts of the flesh. And the lusts of the flesh are, are simply this. This is perhaps the easiest way to describe it. Uh, they're the desires that we share in common with animals. Uh, things like the desire for food, uh, the desire for sex, the desire for resources. Uh, we share these things with animals. Animals need to eat. We need to eat. Um, animals need to reproduce, we need to reproduce. And we have these desires. And these desires don't have to be bad. Uh, By themselves, they are good. They are God-given desires. But the devil knows that those good desires can be turned bad. They can be twisted and become unhealthy. Uh, The desire for food is healthy and good. If we don't eat, we die. But Satan wants to turn that desire into gluttony. He wants us to eat too much. He wants us to live for food instead of food existing for us. Uh, The desire for sex is healthy and good, but Satan wants it to become lust and he wants it to be expressed in ways which God has forbidden. The desire for money is healthy and good but Satan wants it to become avarice. He wants it to become the thing that we live for and a slave to. 
And all these different ways, uh, Satan can use these natural good desires and twist them so instead of them being our servants, they become our masters. And if he can do that, then he will take our soul. He has won the battle. Because it's important to appreciate uh, the devil doesn't necessarily want us to know that our soul is lost, that the city has been taken. Uh, All his attacks won't come in a sort of blaze of fury. Uh, C.S. Lewis once wrote in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is the, uh, if you, uh, difficult to explain in a short time, but it's a book essentially which is written from the point of view of a senior demon, devil, talking to a junior devil about how he can tempt a person away from God. And in one of those letters, uh, the senior devil says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That's the ideal for the devil. If he can take us to hell without us knowing it, that's perfect. And he tries to do that through our desires. And he can gain a foothold in our life by twisting our good desires and making them evil. So that's the first thing we need to watch for. Watch our desires. Do you rule them or do they rule you? But the second thing we need to watch is we need to watch our ambitions. This is the pride of life. Uh, These are desires where we are different from animals. Uh, Animals need to eat, we need to eat. Uh, Animals have these natural, if we might call them animal desires that we share as well. But we have different desires as well. We have spiritual desires. Uh, Animals don't want status, particularly. I know they have hierarchies, but they're not particularly concerned about status. They don't look for a good reputation. Uh, They don't desire justice. Uh, These are things which are unique to us as humans, or at least uh, on this earth. Uh, We have these desires for honour, for glory, for prestige. They're desires that we all have. And Satan can use those to gain a foothold in our life. If he can make our career more important than God's kingdom, he's won. If he can make our quest for honour more important than our desire for God's honour, then he's won. If he can make us more concerned about our own personal kingdom on earth, then we are about God's kingdom, then he has won the battle. So Peter is saying to us, in essence here, watch your ambitions. What do you want in life? Not just the things which we all want, food and all the natural desires, but what is your aim in life? What are you living for? And if the answer is anything but God and his kingdom then Satan has a foothold in your life. 
His teeth are closing in on you. Watch out. And that leads to the third and last way Satan seeks to get a foothold in our life. And we need to watch what we gaze at. We need to watch what we look at. Uh, The lust of the eyes are what our eyes see. Uh, And the first two things we've looked at, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, they're more about what our desires are, what we want, our physical desires and our spiritual desires. But this last one, the lust of the eyes, is more about how we desire. It's what we look on. What are you looking at in your life? What are you feeding on? And I don't mean the food you put in your mouth per se. I mean what gives you delight? What captivates your heart? That's what the lust of the eyes is talking about. What do we set our gaze on? Because what you look at Uh, What you take delight in will feed your desires. Uh, It's like food. You all know what it's like, don't you? If if you eat lots of unhealthy food, you get a taste for it, and you want to have more. Uh, If you cut it out, eventually your uh, palate changes, and you get more of a taste for good foods. And this is a battle I'm sure we all have to various extents. Uh, What you feed on... What you taste, what you look at, will fuel or starve your desires. If you spend your time gazing at worthless things, then you will have worthless desires. But if you spend your time gazing at worthwhile things, then you will have worthwhile desires. What we look at matters and that is what the lust of the eyes is speaking of what do you spend your time delighting in is it just whatever the tv throws at you Uh, is it scrolling through the magazines and the next thing you want to buy new house new car new clothes Or do you have deeper desires? Uh, One of the most uh, gifted speakers in church history was a man called John Chrysostom. I think he lived in about the 4th century, I think. Um, And he preached in Constantinople, which was the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. And he would denounce the lavish extravagance of the rich living in the capital uh, city, this great Uh, lavish city and he condemned the excess that so many went to and this infuriated many people including the empress herself and she arranged for John Chrysostom to be exiled and when he was told uh, of his fate uh, this is how Chrysostom responded he said what can I fear will it be death but you know that Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth and all its fullness is the Lord's. 
Will it be the loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world and can carry nothing out. Thus all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes, and I smile at all its good things. Poverty I do not fear, riches I do not sigh for, death I do not shrink from. Do you see how his heart was free? His heart was free because he wasn't looking at the here and now. He wasn't looking at all the things this world can offer. He was gazing at something else. He was looking to an eternal inheritance which no one on earth could take away. And the devil desperately doesn't want us to do that. He wants to keep our eyes locked in this world. He wants to keep our eyes constantly looking down at all the things that this world offers and fearing that we lose them instead of looking up at all the things that God so freely gives, which do not last for a short time, but last for eternity. That's why the last area we need to look out is what our eyes look at. Where are you looking? And where you're looking will demonstrate the foothold that Satan has got in your life or otherwise. So those are the three areas, the three areas where Satan is seeking to devour us. Through the lusts of our flesh, our natural desires, our physical desires, through the Um, pride of life, our spiritual desires, our inner sort of human desires, and lastly, the lust of the eyes, where we're looking, what we desire from life. And Peter gives us very clear instruction for what we do with these temptations. Look at verse 9. I'll read from verse 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter says, resist him. He is a liar. You might think that the fulfilling of that desire you have, even if it goes beyond the boundaries which God has set. You might think that might make you happy, but it won't. That is a lie of the devil. You might think that your earthly satisfaction depends on your career or your earthly ambitions. But Peter says that's a lie from the devil. And you might think that you will find everything you need in this world. But Peter says, no, that is a lie. Resist him. And that will require blood, sweat, toil, and tears. It is not easy to resist the devil. It might seem easy right now, uh, sitting in a church surrounded by sympathetic people. It won't feel easy tomorrow morning. It won't feel easy when you're faced with that inappropriate scene on TV and you know you should switch it off. You know that you probably should have switched it off 10 minutes ago, an hour ago. 
It won't feel easy, but Peter says, resist. Don't buy into the devil's lie. Uh, It won't be easy to resist when you hear that delicious piece of gossip. And you want to take part, and you might use all sorts of rationalizations to say that it's not gossip. But in your heart of hearts, you know that it is. Peter says, resist. Uh, when someone says something and it makes you angry and you desire to say something sharp back, something which will put that person in their place, it won't be easy to resist. But Peter says we must. It won't be easy when you're faced with a boss at work who wants you to lie or wants you to do something you know is not right, which is not honourable. It won't be easy to say no and potentially risk your job or your career. But that's what Peter says we must do. But not just resist. Um, There's a common illustration, but it's a good one. Uh, It tells of a a busload of school children and... They're going along on a journey and the teacher says to the children, don't look out the window on your left. (laughs) What do the children all immediately do? (laughs) They immediately look out the window on their left. And if they don't, they're constantly wondering, what's out the window on our left? And resisting is hard. But it's less hard if we've got something to look at out the other window. Far wiser to not merely say, don't look out that window, but tell them, look out that one. And that's what we need to do. Resist the devil, but then look at Christ. Look at him and discover that in him are far greater riches than what the devil promises. In him are much greater wonders than this world could ever supply Resist the devil and gaze at Christ. And that's really suggested in the last verse that we'll look at this morning. Look at verse 10. Peter says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, And settle you. Peter says, May the God of all grace. Because Peter knows that we cannot do this by ourselves. Uh, The devil is a roaring lion, and he is more powerful than we are. He's wiser, at least in the sense of being cleverer than we are. We cannot hope to resist the devil by ourselves we will be destroyed every time we need the god of all grace we need his strength and his help which only comes through jesus this is what it looks like in practice and i came up with a little acronym you know an acronym the letters all start with a different phrase um, I was trying to think of something clever, but I couldn't. And then I came up with CART, C-A-R-T. has no meaning behind it, except that's all I could work out um, as a word. And our first step, 
when we're confronting the devil as he seeks to devour us, the first step has to be to confess our sin and confess our need of God. If you do not do that, you will fall flat on your face. Before anything else, we need to confess to God, God, I need you. God, I need Christ. I need his forgiveness. And I need your help. Secondly, that leads on to the second letter A. We need to ask for God's help. We confess our need, and then we ask for his forgiveness and ask for his strength and his enabling. Then that leads to the third thing. Then we resist. And there's no two ways about it. That is always going to be hard. It's always going to be difficult. Just because God gives us his strength doesn't mean it becomes easy. That's a lie that we think. We, we sort of pray sometimes, don't we? We pray for God's strength and we think once we've prayed, everything will be swimmingly, we're swimmingly and easy. But that's not how it works. God gives us strength to endure. And we have to put the effort in, the effort which God, through the strength that God supplies. Resist. Resist the devil, as James says, and he will, he will flee from you. But then, fourthly and lastly, we thank him. Once we've weathered the storm, once we've resisted the temptation... We thank God for what he has done for us. Thank him for the grace he has given to us. And that's what Peter points to in verse 11. He says, After you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's not ultimately us who stands against the devil. It's God. And we do it in the strength that he supplies. And so he is worthy of all the thanks and all the praise. So as we watch out for the attacks of the devil as he roams around like a lion seeking whom he may devour, let's remember those four steps. Firstly, confess your need of God. Secondly, ask for his help. Thirdly, Resist the devil. And lastly, thank him for the strength that he freely gives those who ask. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen uh, as our last hymn, number 712. And it's a hymn which um, picks up on that theme of fighting the devil and resisting him. 712, fight the good fight with all thy might. Christ is thy strength and Christ thy right. Lay hold on life and it shall be thy joy and crown eternally. So we'll stand to sing our last hymn, number 712.